Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to church. So, so glad that you guys are here this morning. Uh, so, so thankful to be in the presence of God together to worship him, uh, the one who is worthy of worship and, uh, and just love taking every opportunity to, to do that and not take it for granted. Love it, love it. So thanks for being here. My name's Travis. I may have already said that, but uh, I'm happy to be here. Hope you're happy as well. Um, Man, we, we have the, the exciting privilege, uh, I think, uh, to, to uh, begin a, a new season in, in the life of our church where we're going to be looking at revival. We're going to be looking at biblical revivals. We're going to be looking at the ways that God shows up and uh, manifests himself among his people. And, and so uh, you may have heard the word revival before. We're not talking about just having revival meetings, a time and space and place where, where you meet. Uh, uh, but the idea of revival throughout church history has been uh, a, a season in the life of the church and beyond where, where the, the manifest presence of God is so available, is so tangible, that there is extravagant worship that there is a depth of conviction over sin, that, that there is a drawing of the Holy Spirit that, that literally sees people uh, coming to the doors of the church, not even knowing why they are there, but, but finding themselves face to face with God and, uh, and, and you know, falling on, on their face before him. Uh, there is, is often a sense of restoration and renewal that leads to transformation in the lives of people, both in the church and, and ultimately out outside of the church and salvation and beyond. And, and so uh, it's actually surprising to me because as we felt the, the leading of the Lord to, to enter into this, this season, the next couple of months, and if, if the Lord wills, let it go on beyond that, but, but at least the next couple of months of, of having an intentional, intentional or an intentionality about revival, and, and it's something that it's surprising to me that we've never actually had a, a kind of a series or a focus on in the way that we're planning over the next couple of months. Uh, and it's surprising, I think, uh, because uh, for me, particularly in, as, as a little bit younger man, uh, you know, in the last 20, maybe 20 years ago, uh, I, I was, man, a, in seminary, a student of revival. I read every revival book I could find. I took every class on revival that was being offered. Anything that like smelled or tasted of it, I, I wanted it. In fact, that's, that's what got me to Boston where I ended up going to, to seminary was, uh, was not the, the school in and of itself, but actually f uh, the, the studying of the great awakenings and feeling like God said, hey, I want you to go and be a part of something like that again. So it, it, that, that's in me. I, uh, I actually did a whole 40-day devotional called Oh Lord Come on revival that I thought was just going to stir up revival. And I don't think anybody ever read it except for me, but it stirred it up in me. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's something that, that has been something that I've, I've longed for and carried. In fact, it's a part of our, our vision statement as a church that Antioch Community Church will see revival in the Phoenix Valley that transforms nations through a church planning movement. This idea that, that a people would come so alive in God uh, that, that it would result in seeing the nations of the earth transformed uh, as we believe to plant churches, make disciples. And so, uh, so it's something really near and dear, I think, to who we are as a people. So something that we're always believing for. And yet at the same time, I think there, there are seasons where God, with, with a greater intentionality, invites us into pressing into things that are on his heart. 
And so as God has really led us and, and our team who, who really seeks the Lord for, for where he's leading us through sermon series and directing our attention and focus, uh, it gets me excited uh, to know that there's something on the heart of God that while this is a part of our vision statement and what we carry and believe for regularly, that there's something that he's doing to invite us into a season of intentionality for believing for revival. And so I, I, I'm excited about what God may want to do. Um, the series, uh, we, we've called it the, the Rhythm of Revival. And uh, it, it's the, the idea be, behind this is, is, is many-fold. Um, it, it may be that there you know, are different spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking, out that, talking about that, are, that coincide with revival, that, that historical revivals have, have always seen things like prayer and repentance. We're going to be talking about some of those things. But, but more specifically, there is, a, I believe, a, an invitation from the Lord to walk closely with him. I was in a time uh, earlier this week and of, of just worship with a handful of people. We were just worshiping in a room, praying for one another. And uh, as we were worshiping, I, I looked down at my, at my shoes, uh, which is why I've got my white sneaks today, because I was wearing these. And I, I, I looked down at them, and, and they're, they're very dirty. And, you know, when you, when you first get a pair of, of white shoes, you're like, hey, don't step on my feet. Or you're like being careful what to, not, not to get them dirty or walk through certain things. I got a lot of kids, and they like to crowd up. And I like to crowd up, too. But not when I have my my new white shoes on. It's like, hey, be careful. Like, don't step on, on, the, on the white sneaks. So, so, um, so I've, I've, I'm having this little thing as I'm just looking down in worship with, with God, I guess. And, and, um, and it was kind of, I, I feel like he kind of said, I, I like when my white sneaks are dirty. And um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that he wears those, but, but the fact that I was, I was because I was kind of thinking about my kids sometimes, I've had those moments where I've literally, I'm like, you just stepped on my brand new white shoes. Do you not see them? And, and God's like, I, I like when my white shoes are dirty. And I, and I begin having this picture of some of my kids are a little too old. It would be painful, but I still have a couple of younger ones that love to like get on my feet and just like dance around or whatever. I walk and they just kind of, their feet are going wherever my feet are going as, they, as their feet are on top of my feet. And there, there's a, a certain a rhythm that I believe that God is inviting us into where we are literally drawing in so close that we're like the, the, little, the little son or daughter that, that has stepped up on, on the father's shoes and just said, I want to go where you go. Like however you're moving or whatever, you know, if it's dancing or walking or whatever it is, the rhythm that you're moving in, okay, and, and translated from, from what's happening in your heart, that where you go, I will go. And there's something significant about it too, because when we think about revival, it's not something that we can manufacture. That revival, though there are ways that we can position ourselves before God as a hungry people who are, who are coming before him authentically, in the end, it is always, and it has always been God that, that moves and chooses how and when he will move. And so we offer ourselves and we pray in, in those ways, um, but, but he in the end is the one that does it. It's not uh, our work or uh, simply our intentionality. It is in the end, us standing on his feet, and when he moves, we move. And we get to move in, in, the, in the rhythm of, of his activity, of, of his grace, of his, of his stirring, the things uh, that are on his heart. So that's kind of the, the heart behind it. How can we continue to draw in close to him? Because here's the thing. 
when we do things like pray for revival, we're not like begging God for something that he doesn't already want to give us. It's already in his heart to pour out his spirit on all peoples. That is his desire from the very beginning. He created us for fullness of relationship with him where we would walk unhindered in fellowship with him. And because of sin and because of brokenness, because of our distraction, because of all of these things in the world around us, we're not always super aware of his presence. We're not super in tune. We, we've got other things that are on our hearts and are on our, and are on our minds. And so the, the, the rhythm of revival is just saying, I want to step in close. I want to move where you're moving. And so this, I believe, is all at the invitation of God, which gets me really excited. As we have the opportunity to to move in rhythm with him. And uh, there's a, a family in the Bible that I believe really learned from the, the rhythm of grace found in the heart of God. And uh, I want to read about them a little bit uh, in, in Psalm 85 this morning. We're going to read something that they wrote, but I want us to take a step back because this passage of Scripture in Psalm 85 is probably one of the, the classic scrap, uh, passages of Scripture about revival, uh, along with 2 Chronicles 27, 14 is probably the main one, but then the, the next would, would probably be Psalm 85 because there's just this phrase that, that echoes in this passage that says, Revive us again, O Lord. It is literally just this cry going up from the psalmist asking God to bring revival in only the way that he can. The interesting thing about it is uh, that, that brings even a greater interest is some of the background to Psalm 85 as it was written by uh, the, the sons of Korah. And your Bible probably records that there in Psalm 84. They actually, the sons of Korah are attributed with writing a dozen different psalms. And it's interesting that they would be the ones that are calling on a generation to believe for revival, both their generation and many generations after them, such as ours, that are inspired to call on revival because of their, their family's history. But if you trace their family's history back to number 16, um, there was actually uh, several families that came out in opposition against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses, who was used by God to be the great deliverer of the people out of slavery in Egypt. And they came against them. And because, because the Korah and a couple of other families came against them, it says uh, that, that, that everyone else was told to move back. And all of a sudden, the ground literally swallowed them up alive and became a grave for them. And so God pronounced judgment on them. And yet it would be so interesting then to read what, what happened and transpired from there that the sons of Korah that are traced back to this same Korah are, are now writing a dozen psalms in the worship of the Lord. They have, uh, that that uh, we read in Second Chronicles, we're serving as, as worshipers in the, in the house of God. That all of these things that they had an experience with the, now the graciousness of God to extend them grace to bring a place of restoration to their family. That now they can say, God, restore us again. God, revive us as a people again. So they have, they have, they've given themselves to this cry and this beckon. And so I want to go through it in Psalm 85. And there's, there's really kind of four parts to it that I, that I want us to break down and, and see what it is that was going on um, as, as, they, as they challenge us to be a people who cry out for revival. So Psalm 85, we're going to begin reading verses 1 through 3. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. 
You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. So the first thing that we, that we see the sons of Korah doing here are, is remembering and recalling the grace and the ability of God in the past. So this could be things that was passed on from them from generations previous. Uh, perhaps it was uh, other things that, that they had experienced in their own lifetime, but they are recalling uh, from the past ways that God has revealed himself and, and proven to be strongly able to bring reviving, to bring favor, to bring restoration. It goes on in verse four and it, and it then concludes. So, so then this is true from what you've done in, uh, in the past. Now verse four, restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Okay, so now he's calling out on God to come and do what he's done in the past. And then verse five is kind of the sec second section where it says, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations or will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show, show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. So there's a couple of things that are going on here. The first, and they're really tied together, not only in, the, in this passage of scripture, but in the way that we view and operate in life. And, and one is, as we, as we relate to God, one is we remember, it is right for us to remember and recall the faithfulness of God, especially when we're in a season like he's describing where it's like, man, it feels like God's been angry with us, his displeasure, things are not, basically things are not going well. We, 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 we feel separated from God. We, we feel like the, the, the nation is, is distanced itself from, from God. We, we need God, okay? And so he's remembering the faithfulness of God in the, in the past. He's recalling on it, whether it's in his own life or in, in the stories that have been passed on. It's an, an important aspect. So he's remembering that, say, now God, won't you restore us again? Won't you, won't you restore us again? And then he begins to, to call on the character of God. So not only remembering uh, the, the grace and ability of God from the past, but, but re recalling the character of God that was demonstrated then uh, and then calling it into the present. Lord, you, and, and he specifically is talking about, he, he speaks of the Lord showing his unfailing love and granting salvation. So when, when it says love here, the Hebrew word there is, is hesed. And, and it's been kind of well publicized that uh, several of the, the, the meanings of love in the Bible, both in the Hebrew context as well as the Greek context in the New Testament, are not really fully captured by the, the one English word we have for love. Well, well the, the hesed love of God is just much more extensive in, 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 than just one word love because it's, it's more of the, the gracious, kind, loyal, uh, lovingness uh, of God that is faithful to all of his promises throughout all time. So it's kind of this more encompassing kind of picture uh, of the pursuit, the loving pursuit of God that is kind and faithful no, no matter where we are, what we've done. And, and so this is the, the, the love, the hessedness of God that is being called on by the sons of Korah. Won't you reveal your nature and your character? 
your loving kindness, your pursuit, your, your, the, the faithfulness to your promises, won't you, won't you come and reveal yourself again? It's calling on the nature of God. It's calling on the nature of God. And, and, and he goes on to say, your, your unfailing love and grant us your salvation. And th- this prayer of salvation is, is not a, the, the salvation that you, you, we would think of like, hey, I want to I come to know the Lord for the first time. It's not even a specific salvation from a particular enemy that is encamped around them. It, it is more specifically a salvation to be delivered from the just consequences of our sin. It's, it's salvation for, for deliverance from the just consequences of our sin. That, it's, it's a recognition. That's what's got us here. But we're calling on your mercy. We're calling on your grace, God, to deliver us, to save us from our own disobedience against you. So it's calling on a, a, the magnificent nature of God. That yes, we have sinned against you. We have rebelled against you. We have taken your, your, um, your statutes, your, your laws, and we have disregarded them. And yet we come, coming, we come back to you and say, won't you yet still show us mercy and grace? Deliver us from the just consequences of our sin. And so we're remembering the ability and grace of God from the past. We are standing on the character of, of who he is that gives us the, the platform or even the audacity to, stay, to say, revive us. Won't you revive us? It's, a, it's, a, it's the cry um, that we find uh, over and over, in the, I think five times in the book of Judges, where the people of God get themselves in a mess and they forget God or they, they begin to identify with other, other idols of, of other peoples and, and they're disobeying and disregarding his word. And yet there is a cry that rises up in the people of, we need you, God. We need your salvation. Don't you see us? Don't you see our distress? And, and God in his hesed love uh, just comes and he restores them. He restores, as it says here, the fortunes of Jacob again. And he brings reviving to his people. He breathes life back into his people. It is who he is. There's another interesting passage, um, again, written by the, the, the sons of Korah over in Psalm 46 that, that, that goes right, at, right in line with this, remembering the past and, and calling on the, the character of God. They say this back in, in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Okay? So, so this is calling on the character of God that is learned through the, the history of God, right? So because next it says, therefore, we will not fear, though what? So interesting, though the earth give way. You think there's been a story that's been passed on? I think there may have been a story that's been passed on. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. So we learn from the ability and the graciousness, the hestedness of God. Even in, in, for these guys through the, the story and, and of, their, of their family that he is a refuge and a strength and ever-present help. In trouble, therefore we will not fear. There is a place for us as the people of God to recall the grace and ability of God and stand upon his character that gives us the foundation for calling out for revival again.
Well, as they, they, they cry for, for the reviving of God, there is then kind of a, a, a positioning that we see in verse 8. They cry out to God for his salvation, for his reviving, and it says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. For me, it just speaks into, I, I will quiet my soul, I will, I will still my heart, I will quiet the, the voices of the world around me or the angst that I feel within, and I will lean in, press in, I will listen to what the, God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. And so we lean in and we listen for the promises of God. There's a, there's a uh, something of a, of a key to, to being revived there, that, that we're, we're not revived just, just by... Um, history, or not even revived just by the character of God, but there's also something of leaning into the promises of God. It's, it's the promises of God on which our, our hope rests. And as we press into the promises of God, there's a couple of things that I think uh, almost always happen, uh, or maybe always happen, and one is that, that peace is revealed. He has promised peace to his people. And so he's drawing in his people. It says it three times here, to his, his people, his faithful servants, those who fear him. They press into his promises and there is a, a peace that is received. And again, um, I think that English word falls a little bit short of the Hebrew understanding of shalom. If you've ever done much study in, in Judaism, uh, shalom is a significant part of their religious observance. And the, the meaning of shalom is literally all-encompassing. Um, and, and it's powerful to say peace upon you because of the all-encompassing nature of the, the, the shalom peace of God, which, which is, is describing the, the presence and activity of God in every area of, of the human existence, whether it's, it's physically experiencing the peace of God, mentally experiencing the peace of God, spiritually experiencing the, the presence uh, of, of the peace of God. It is, it is in our material things. It is uh, in, in every way experiencing the, 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 the ramifications of his peace in our lives. And so it is this, this shalom of his presence, and, and he specifically spells it out there in the next, in the next verse. Um, not only are we believing for the, for the peace of God, uh, but it de declares that his glory may dwell in our land. So it's the peace and the presence of God, which are in some ways one and the same, but it's the peace of God that his, that his presence, that he would, his glory would dwell where we dwell. And so it's leaning into those promises that that is the heart of God, to bring shalom, to bring the glory of his presence into our everyday existence. And he, he ends this passage of scripture by kind of describing what that might look like. In fact, as he, as he in these last few verses of Psalm 85, gives us this picture, I think it's, 
in many ways, the, the antithesis of what they are currently experiencing. Saying, this is what we're believing for. When the peace of God comes, when the, when the glory of his presence comes upon our land, this is the effect. Verse 10, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. I think it's a little passage of scripture here that we are given to use as an overlay to our current reality. Okay, so if this is kind of a picture that he's saying, you know, we, he's starting out saying, we need, let's remember what God, we need him. Let's remember what he's done. Let's, let's believe for his character to come and revive us, leaning into the promises of his peace and his presence so that love and faithfulness might meet together. And overlaying that on, on the, the current state of, of our society, of the world that we live in, what does it look like for love and faithfulness to, to meet together? Is that a reality? What, what, is, what does it mean for righteousness and peace to come so close that they kiss one another? There is, a, there is an inundated sense of, of the rightness and peace with one another. With there, there so much so that faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. It's in that place that the Lord will indeed give what is good, that our land will yield a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. I feel like even in that, there's a call to the church that righteousness goes before him. It is rightness with, with God that would go before him and prepare the way for his steps, for him to come and to move and to have his way. And so what we want to be sensitive to this morning is, God, how are you inviting me to step into that place in, in close with you that, that I might be someone who... who um, stays in step with the Spirit, one who is by righteousness preparing the way for his steps. What does it look like for me uh, to be an, an agent of yours to see this reality in, in my generation, in, in, in my circles of influence? Much as we, we um, gather here, there was something happening in the state and the culture of Israel and their, their maybe givenness to other gods, idolatry, uh, to, to, to wickedness that, that inspires the, uh, the psalmist to uh, call for revival in, in his day. And it often, uh, that, that is the very, the, the very embers of revival is, the, uh, is, is when in the, the course of humanity and human events, there there becomes such a, a heaviness around injustice and uh, despair over over evil and the proliferation of, of evil and uh, moral degradation that that um, and, and there's there's such a degrading of what is good and righteous that for the church there remain, remains only one answer, 
It's revival. That's been the, 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 the history of, of the church is that when, there, when, when a culture comes to such a place that there is a, there's a cry that goes out with, with all sincerity to, to the, to, to, to meets the heart of God. It says, we need you, God. We need you, and it's, it's often when evil and wickedness uh, are just kind of filling up the landscape of a culture, and, um, and there's a, that, a, a yearning for relief, a, a yearning for, for, for uh, in, injustice and for, for wickedness to be quelled and for righteousness to, to rise. And, and I think, and, and, and perhaps one of the reasons that God has led us to, to this season of intentionally focusing and crying out for revival is uh, because of what many already feel uh, because of the, the wickedness of our day. The, those beginning embers of God, you've got to come. God, we are a people that have, that have strayed far from you, and we can look in the world around us, and we can point to this or that, and uh, we can be overcome even with fear for our kids or for where our nation is going or for the, the atrocities in the world today and the, 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 the human slavery and the, the massive scope of that and just the, the evil and wickedness in the world. And oftentimes, we, uh, we, 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 that's what God uses to begin stoking the, those embers of revival. And I believe that that's something that's happening in, in the church in our day, but, but here is what I, I fear. I, I fear that we would find ourselves as the big C church uh, pointing our fingers at, look at this evil, look at this atrocity, and, and look, look, what's, look what's being done, and uh, th- this needs to be stopped, or this needs to be come against, and all of those things, which again are some of the embers of revival, but if it stops there, then we only move forth with judgment, anger, and bitterness, rather than coming to the true recognition of what is the cause for the need for revival, because revival is the awakening of the people of God. So when we're believing for revival, we're not believing for the awakening of those who are proliferating proliferating such evil. We're believing for our own revival. So if it stays with a finger pointed out here and doesn't ever take that turn and say, God, this is on our watch. Would you you heal our land? Would you forgive uh, the, the sin of our nations? Because revival is needed when believers are not carrying the standards set forth in Scripture, that they are not uh, living uh, and, and, and calling people to account for what is true, what is just, what is righteous, what is beautiful, what is pleasing to God. It's when the church has ceased to be the salt and the light. When they cease to be the, the pillar and support of truth, then society is left without principle, or purpose, and direction, or a foundation for morality and living life. And, and so th- there, there's, no, there's no check for, for ungodliness. So in the end, there is an underlying need for revival because of a lack of obedience among the people of God to, to the ways of Christ. And so it, it kind of is like, yes, we need it because look at this and this and this, when, when actually the true marker of revival is when, yes, we see it, the evil in the day, and we say, oh, God, help us, help me. Lord, search my heart. 
know my mind? Is there any wickedness or waywardness in me? Is there any half-heartedness? Is there any way that I've allowed uh, the, the culture to impact the way that I see things, view things, do, th- do things, uh, the way that I live? Is there, any, is there any gray that I've allowed to become a, 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 a norm in my life rather than it with, with purity of devotion running wholeheartedly after you? We want to be a people that have a, a clean hands and a pure heart that we might ascend the hill of the Lord, that we might move in his presence, that we might move in rhythm with him. And so let us not just stop and say, hey, this, this, and this, but oh God, woe is me. I, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among, yes, a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so, Lord, here I am, use me, send me, whatever you, you need to do, but it starts in that place of recognizing our own need for revival. Because the revival ultimately will impact and bring transformation to the world around us, will bring awakening to the souls of those who have not received the message of Jesus, but it begins in the heart of us. And and I I think we know that, but the reality is we can't blame what we're seeing out there on on anybody other than than the the one who is meant to be salt and light and and the pillars of truth. And again, it's not a blame or a guilt or a shame thing. It's just a recognizing again, God, we need you. And we offer ourselves to you in that way. To close this morning, I want to read a couple of other passages of Scripture just out over us. And, um, and it's two more of the Psalms that were written by the sons of Korah. One of the things I did and just kind of digging into the, the history of it there, I was like, wow, I want to, what was going on in their lives? What, 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 what was happening in their spirit that God would use them in Psalm 85 to call a generation to, to, to be revived? What was, what was happening to them? What, what, was, uh, what was stirring up in them that they would be the voice of revival for a generation And so I want to read out of Psalm 84 and Psalm 42, because today we want to allow God to spark something in us for the need for revival, but translating that not only into the need as we see it in the world around us, but how we can position ourselves to say, I need you. I want to know you. I want to press in so that I might be used by you to see revival come in this day, in this age, in my generation. And so here's some of the things that we read from the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Even as they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Why, soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Come and see what the Lord has done. The Lord Almighty is with us. He says, be still and know that I am God, that I will be exalted among the nations, that I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So God, this morning we present ourselves to you, the one who is able, the one who is filled with loving kindness that pursues us all the days of our life, that is consistently faithful to all of your promises. Today we move into rhythm with you by moving in close, by presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, that, that we would come and say, search our hearts, that we would come and say, God, give us clean hands and a pure heart, that we would be single-minded in our devotion to you, that there would be a hunger for you that rises up in this house, that would say, there is no other thing that I seek but that all that I desire is found in you. There is no place that I wanna go outside of your presence. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would spark a revival flame in us, that we would cry out, revive us again, O oh God, according to your faithfulness your ability and your grace, according to your character, according to your peace and your presence, let righteousness and faithfulness and love and kindness come for your glory. In Jesus' name, I want to invite you to stand with me. And this morning, um, if there is something that is stirring within you for revival, just like I want to, I want to I want to see it. I want to come near it. I want to, I want to be used of God to, to see it come to pass. I, I long for it. We're, we're going to just let this front be a, an altar 
in fact, in many older churches, there is literally an altar that's placed up in the front as an invitation to come and come to the altar of God as a, as a living sacrifice, sac, you know, bringing yourself to him. And so the, the front is open. Even if you're disturbed now, you can come on and begin coming forward. Uh, uh, our ministry team is gonna be up on the sides today. So they're gonna be on the side walls. If you need prayer for anything, uh, go and find somebody to pray for you. Uh, we believe that God answers prayer. And so no matter what the need, if it's physical or relational or financial or anything in between, uh, just come and receive prayer. We believe that God wants to meet you in that place. But we're gonna leave the front open as just an altar for you to come and to get, come before God and say, God, here I am, search me and know me. Give, give us uh, pure hands, and a, clean hands and a pure heart. Won't you revive us again? If that's stirring in you, I just want to invite you to the front, to the altar in that way. But let's not leave this place today without fully and wholeheartedly responding to God.